Welcome to the new podcast, Leading by History, where we seek to take our listeners on a journey through history and educational leadership, changing our world and society one story at a time. Founded in Richmond, Virginia in the year 1831, the Virginia Historical Society, now known as the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, was founded in order to be a major repository of the specific and unparalleled history of Virginia and Virginians, as well as the great story of America. In 1831, December the 29th, 28 political, economic, and social leaders met in order to establish the state's historical society. Its name was initially the Virginia Historical and Philosophical Society, and its mission was to preserve the memory of the prominent colonial and revolutionary past. In the previous year, 2018, the Virginia Historical Society changed its name to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. This was a significant change and showed a significant shift in the society's desire to bring truth to bear. Join Leading by History as we go to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture to speak with one of its resident scholars and curators in order to talk about the history of the institution and a groundbreaking new exhibit called Determined, the 400-year struggle for black equality, a powerful exhibit that is sure to have an impact on not just Virginia, but America for years to come. Let's get ready now for this week's Leading by History. Welcome to today's Leading by History podcast. I'm here with uh, Dr. Karen Sherry, and we're about to embark upon uh, a journey, a journey through time from 1831 to the present. We're here on location at the Virginia Historical Society, now known as the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, and we're going to uncover some of the organization's history, uh, its plans and development for the future, and also a very groundbreaking exhibit that's going to be coming uh, to the city very soon. So we introduce Dr. Sherry to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're so, we're so glad to, to be here and for you taking that time. So you are a professional curator and you've been doing this uh, for some time. So I want you to just talk to our listeners a little bit and tell them about yourself and just giving them that buildup on why we're here and, and, and why you're the person that we're talking to today. Okay, well, I have been a curator for more than 15 years, and my background is actually in art history. I majored in art history in college, got my graduate degrees in art history, and I specialized in American art and material culture. Um, and my interests have been wide-ranging. I, I did my dissertation on the early national period, so the late 18th and early 19th century when the United States was a new nation, and I was particularly interested in images of women and 
ideas about femininity and womanhood in that period. But that said, as a scholar and as a curator, my interests have ranged much more widely across the centuries um, from the colonial period through, through the 20th and into the 21st century. Um, as I say, my background is in art history, and while the primary resources as an art historian are generally works of art, um, it's a very interdisciplinary field in which you're looking at works of art, you're looking at these creative expressions and putting them in a broader historical context. So art history, as the very name suggests, involves a lot of historical work and historical research. So I've always been um, uh, fascinated by history um, and culture, and I began my curatorial career at the Brooklyn Museum in New York, which mm. has a phenomenal American art collection. It was a great pleasure and privilege to work there. And I was there at a time when the museum was part of Brooklyn's renaissance, when mm. Brooklyn was um, becoming a newly kind of cool and hip place to live, when it was really celebrating what made Brooklyn unique. And very much of that was its incredibly diverse population. So fairly early on in my curatorial career, I became cognizant of um, the fact that many institutions have collections that don't necessarily represent the full scope of human creativity or human cultural history. I, I like to think that I am able to draw on some of those early experiences with current projects. Just to continue a little bit about my career trajectory, after working at the Brooklyn Museum for almost a decade, I moved to the Portland Museum of Art in Maine, worked there for a few years, uh, and then um, family reasons brought me to Virginia, where I happily landed here at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. So that's a little bit about my okay career trajectory. <laughs> and so now we're here at the Virginia Museum of, of History and Culture, uh, previously known as the Virginia Historical Society. Now, the VMHC was established as the Virginia Historical Society around 1831. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, 20 plus years before uh, the emancipation, right? And so we, we're, we're pinpointing a period where uh, you know, racist, uh, ethnocentric kind of uh, values are are pervasive throughout society and may not even have been perceived as, as racist at the time. Um, and, you know, so, so here the historical society was established to preserve initially the, the culture of America and its and its founders right and that early history especially as it pertained to virginia and so a lot of the memorabilia the the files documents books records uh found them their way here mm -hmm. to the virginia historical society so do, when, when you began your journey into what led you here mm -hmm. did you know this history how did that factor into your decision to come here and, and what was your plan for, for ending up in this place that's now taken a different focus more recently? Just give me a little bit about that. Okay. Um, well, to start by uh, just elaborating a little bit what you said about the history of this institution and its early 
mission, it was very much about preserving the story of elite white Virginians, the Mm -hmm. founding fathers, the George Washingtons, the Thomas Jeffersons, and so forth. Um, And over the almost two centuries of our institution's history, we have evolved to a place now where we're much more committed to collecting and telling the stories of all Virginians, Mm -hmm. not just the Washingtons and the Jeffersons. Um, And uh, that said, though, this is one of the oldest historical societies in America. We have an incredibly rich and historically invaluable collection of artifacts. Um, Almost 9 million pieces. Almost 9 million items. And so, you know, from my early years as a scholar, I had heard about the Virginia Historical Society, and I knew it was, you know, up there um, among the top historical societies in the nation. When I was moving down here for family reasons and looking for jobs, um, uh, this was one institution I did start to look into more as a, as a potential place of employment, in part because I knew its reputation, I knew it had rich holdings, in part also because um, Uh, being down here in Virginia, (laughs) um, something you learn very quickly as a newcomer to this place is that um, Virginia is a place that is very proud of its many firsts. Um, You know, the first permanent English settlement in America, um, uh, the first president, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Um, Not all of those firsts are, are that pleasant. It's also the place where the um, uh, first recorded enslaved Africans were brought in what is now um, uh, the, the United States. It is that love of Virginia's first. It's part of the, the state pride. Um, there is also, you know, some, some truth to that. Indeed, Virginia, from very early on, as the largest, most economically powerful colony, we were still a British colony in the early decades, if not century, of the United States. It was an incredibly politically powerful place, which was setting the model for many things around the nation, the model for a system of slavery, um, uh, a model of um, political debate, and so forth. So um, I think when I came down here and was um, embarking on looking for career opportunities, um, I was also coming to the realization of the many ways in which my background as a scholar of American history and culture would intersect with the, um, the mission of this place of telling the story of Virginia. In the previous year, the institution changed its name mm-hmm. uh, to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Mm-hmm. As an outsider looking in, as a, a member of the community, it seemed that this was maybe a signal or a sign for other changes that would be forthcoming, mm-hmm. uh, that it was deliberate, yes. that it was thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And so it made me think, even in the shifting of the name, a Virginia Historical Society, it sounds very elitist, mm-hmm. um, very exclusive. Whereas now the Virginia Museum of History and Culture seems to have a more inclusive kind of feeling to, to, the, to the name. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we hear about 
a new exhibit mm -hmm. that's going to be done that's going to showcase the history and the lives of African-American people mm -hmm. uh, from the earliest time, mm -hmm. 1619, going forward. Um, and during a time period of, of 400s, right, where you've got the uh, anniversary of the King James Version Bible's 400th <laughs> year, uh, the 1607 founding mm -hmm. of Jamestown, uh, 400th quadricentennial, etc. Mm -hmm. But now we're coming up on this, you know, 1619 to 2019, yeah. uh, when, when those first uh, couple dozen of enslaved Africans were brought here. Mm -hmm. And there's a big story behind most of that. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the exhibit um, and why it's so powerful in relationship to the new direction of the institution. Mm -hmm. Well, first, I'd like to say you're, you're absolutely right that the name change carries very deliberate significance to it. Um, while the Virginia Historical Society, it's a storied institution, it has, um, uh, you know, a long history and a very reputable history. Like I say, it's known as one of the greatest historical societies in the nation. We found that many of our visitors or potential visitors didn't really know what a historical society was. They mm -hmm. didn't realize that it was a place that's open to the public. They wondered, do I have to have a membership to go to the right. society? Do I have to be, be, be a part of the society? So um, um, the name change was driven by this desire to make sure that we are accessible, that we're user-friendly, so to speak, that anybody walking by knows that they can come in and use this place. This is a resource for them. We're a private nonprofit. We're not a state institution, but we right. do f function as a public institution, open to all. And that name change very much signals that. Also, it's, it's a much more descriptive name. Mm -hmm. People generally know what a museum does, right. and our name tells them that we deal with history and culture. Um, and the way that the exhibition I am working on, and I'll just give you the title and the date so mm -hmm. listeners are, are sure to know what it is so they can come and see the show. Pardon the shameless plug. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the exhibition, it's titled Determined, the 400-Year Struggle for Black Equality. And it will run here at the museum from June 19th, 2019 through March 1st, 2020. Mm. And this project, which traces 400 years of African-American history here in Virginia through the lens of uh, the struggle for equality. It looks at the myriad ways in which black people have fought for their freedom, for social justice, for legal equality, for full um, access to opportunities and full consideration of their humanity and so forth. It's an exhibition that very much fits in with our our new mission of making sure we're accessible um, and telling the stories of all Virginians, telling the rich diversity of the Commonwealth. Um, and black history, of course, is an, a critically important part of that history. In fact, it's, it's inseparable. You really can't say American history and African-American history are separate things. They're fully intertwined. Um, but because many institutions, including 
my own historically were not necessarily telling the stories of uh, minority peoples. This, this exhibition allows us to tell what's not only critically, a critically important aspect of our own shared history, but it also, uh, along with the name change, is a signal that we are a place that is taking on difficult topics, that is um, engaging in a much broader range of stories that represent the true diversity of who we are as a society. Well, there are a couple of things that I want to uh, press into a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So the terminology of the black struggle or the black experience mm-hmm. uh, in in the title, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. as opposed to African-American. Mm-hmm. I understand as a historian that nomenclature is, is it's purposeful. Let me say that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a reason why we, we do certain things or say certain things. And so the term black mm-hmm. for me encompasses a much wider history. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, whereas the term African-American is mm-hmm. something that we find on this end of, of, of history where we are today, mm-hmm. being that it's going to discuss, and this is just one question, and then I've got a, another uh, a part two that's coming mm-hmm. Why the choice of black in the title mm-hmm. as opposed to African-American? Mm-hmm. And it is in part, um, I agree with you, and, and that's why we chose to use it. It, it um, Talking about black people as opposed to African-Americans, it's not only, I think, um, what is generally more current in scholarly circles in terms of nomenclature, Mm -hmm. but it also does suggest a a greater um, inclusivity than African-Americans because we live at a moment where um, our world is so globally connected, people with black skin color don't necessarily um, have a direct connection to Africa anymore. They might come from the Caribbean. They might come from Europe. They might come from somewhere else. So Mm -hmm. African-Americans tends to sound a little old-fashioned or limiting in that regard. Which is interesting because there was a time period where black was was seen in the same way. And it seems like some Mm -hmm. things are, are, you know, cyclical. Yeah, exactly, or a pendulum to that So it's not that the exhibit is going to necessarily just uh, talk about general uh, Virginia history. Mm -hmm. It's going to focus on African-American people Mm -hmm. and contributions. But while telling that story, it will be hopefully seen by those outside of the African-American community as a part of the we, the story of us. Yeah. Correct? I hope so. And I also hope by maybe refocusing the lens a little bit and telling the story not through the lens of the George Washingtons or the Robert E. Lees, but telling the story through maybe people you've never even heard of before. But give, it, give us a little a, bit of that. An impact on, on American history. Well, the exhibition, it's organized around about 30 key figures over these 400 years. And the stories of these individuals are fascinating, sometimes heartbreaking, inspirational in and of their own right, but they're also stories that reflect on broader historical trends. And so, um, you know, I hope that 
I've selected a good range of figures, some of whom are very famous, some of whom are complete unknowns to the majority of visitors who will come through our doors. Um, but nevertheless, I think are, are compelling and engaging and inspiring stories. Um, so some of the featured individuals in the exhibition include people like Angela. Her name is also spelled Angelo. She was one of the first Africans who was brought to these shores in 1619. Mm. And we know very little about her. Her name appears only twice in the historical record. We don't know when she was born. We believe she was probably from the Ndongo Kingdom, what is now Angola. Um, uh, We know that while she was here in Virginia, she was in the household of William Pierce, but we know very little historical mm. facts about her life. Um, nevertheless, um, as as one of the first Africans here, um, she she played a role in in shaping our society's history in terms of race relations. Other figures in the show include Anthony Burns. He's someone who might be more well-known to um, people interested in history because he became a figure in a lightning rod case in the middle of the 19th century when the nation was very fractured over the issue of slavery and uh, sectional debates between um, northern free states and southern slave states were becoming increasingly bitter. Anthony Burns was an enslaved Virginian who ran away. He was captured by um, slave hunters and uh, his his case went to trial. Um, He lost his trial and was sent back to Virginia under the terms of the 1850 Fugitive Slave Law, which was Mm. a hugely controversial law. Um, And it was one of those instances where um, the the divide between North and South became even more deeply fractured. So um, Anthony Burns is featured in the exhibition as someone who who fought for his freedom, first by running away, then through a lawsuit. And he he was a um, uh, kind of cause celebre of the abolitionist movement. So he was very famous during his lifetime and I think continues to be somewhat well-known today um, in um, uh, among people who are interested in history. Um, a couple other figures featured in the exhibition are um, Anne Spencer. She's Mm. not necessarily a household name, but I I believe she should be. She was Mm -hmm. an important poet uh, who lived in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, She was also a civil rights activist. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, through her poetry, she became linked with the broader New Negro movement, sometimes Mm -hmm. called the Harlem Renaissance or the New Negro Renaissance of the 1920s, which saw a real flowering of black cultural expressions and um, even though Anne Spencer lived her um, entire adult life in Virginia, in, in, her, in Lynchburg, her home became an important salon for the black intelligentsia of the first half of the 20th century. You name a key cultural figure, um, a black intellectual of that period, and they most likely went to Anne Spencer's home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a regular meeting place, so W.E.B. Du Bois, Paul Robeson, um, 
James Weldon Johnson, um, uh, and, and countless others. Um, Martin Luther King even <laughs> went to her home uh, at some point. So she was an important conduit of ideas and people that were part of this broader flowering of, of black cultural expression in the period. So she's featured in the exhibition. Um, looking um, forward um, to more recent years, Gladys West is another person who's featured in the exhibition, and she is a hidden figure type. She's kind of a hidden figure of GPS. She began working in the Dahlgren Naval Labs in the 1950s and was part of the team that developed global positioning system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that you know we we take for granted today. Whenever we pull out our phone and plug in directions on our navigator, you know, thank Correct. Gladys West for that. Uh, and then there are also some well-known names like Arthur Ashe, uh, who was um, a pioneering figure in breaking the color line in tennis and also a great um, champion of international human rights. He's also figured in the show. So there's a range of people who represent different aspects of the black experience. And one thing I hope to do in the show is to show that variety um, within the black community. Like any community, the black community is not a homogenous thing. So I want to show diversity of life experience, life experiences, achievements, and so forth uh, across 400 years across the black community. So I hope that the selection of figures demonstrates that and also gives a really rich sense of the various ways in which black people have worked to achieve equality, to fight for equality, and um, other kinds of opportunities in American society. Powerful. I think that it it was helpful to have some of those names Mm -hmm. um, to give the listeners... um, in that that Pavlovian, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, salivation effect yeah, on the yeah. on the stuff that that will be available. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, in 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 wrapping up the show today, I just wanted to talk about now. There may be those who say, given the the historical society's past. Mm-hmm. What do you say in response to those people who would say that this exhibit that's coming now, as powerful as it has the potential to be, is maybe too much too late, if you will, Mm -hmm. in terms of beginning to, in 2019, tell a story that started in 1619 when the society has has been around for as long as it has? Mm -hmm. What would be a response there? Um, A couple of responses to that. Um, First is, yes, we have to acknowledge that as an institution, we have not always been inclusive. We have not always been friendly to non-white elite Virginians in representing their stories and collecting their um, artifacts and so forth. Um, That said, um, this exhibition isn't the first time we're Mm -hmm. delving into African-American history. it, while it is true that many museums, including this one, have been a little late to the game, they maybe didn't really start focusing on aspects of black history or women's history or other mm-hmm. minority groups until the 80s or so. Um, this isn't our, our first pass at it. And in fact, for listeners who um, are interested in, in doing some research um, in the 
I believe it was the 90s. I don't remember the exact date when this was started, but um, our um, museum staff here compiled a guide to African-American materials in our manuscripts collection. Mm. Um, And that used to be a published guide. It's now available online, so people can go search and find all kinds of amazing things from... um, slave inventories so if uh your um family was enslaved in virginia you might be able to find records um Mm -hmm. related to your family through that um we have um you know all kinds of other items items related to school desegregation debates and political records and so forth in our manuscripts collection so that was an uh, an early initiative this institution did another institution uh, excuse me another initiative we embarked on was unknown no longer which is a database of slave names that are held here in our collections and we're working and i uh don't hold me to any of this yet because it's very much in process but we're working with the library of virginia to link up our database of African-American people with their database of African-American people to make it a more valuable and more comprehensive archive for people to use. I, I, I don't have any other details about right, that at this right. point. That That's another effort we've um, we've been building on. We've also had exhibitions on the past on Virginia's involvement in the civil rights movement, and the African colonization movement, and so forth. So this isn't the first time we're doing that um, or, or, or looking at this history. That said, you know, we do have to acknowledge that we haven't always been as um, uh, attentive to collecting and representing African-American or Black-related stories here in our institution. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the case of many museums. Correct. And, you know, better better late than never. I would right. rather um, uh, start late than not start at all doing these kinds of Correct. things. Um, and another thing that might be interesting for your v- listeners to think about is um, uh, that um, in organizing a show like Determined, which looks at 400 years of history, we're working with collections and we're working with a long history of not collecting artifacts that didn't belong to the mm. George Washingtons and the Thomas Jeffersons, mm. you know, unfortunately, and this is, this is not unique to my museum. It, it occurs across um, the museum field, across the history field, you know, often the people who don't write the history, right. um, we don't have the records or we don't have the artifacts that relate directly to them. I was talking about Angela, one of the first Africans right. who was forcibly brought here in 1619, you know, except for her name appearing twice <laughs> on the historical record we you know we know virtually nothing about her um so it becomes a real challenge for a curator or for a historian to represent her story when we don't have the traditional kinds of artifacts that are used to tell history um it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it it just means that we have to find um different ways to convey her story to um, um, prompt people to think about and imagine what her her life might have been like. Um, so um, you know, it's it's a challenge that many curators and historians, not just me, working on this particular project, has is how do we tell stories about people who aren't 
recorded in, in the history Correct. or Correct. artifacts we don't have. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it is a challenge, but I, I use challenge in the most positive way. It's an exciting challenge for me. I mean, it kind of brings out the, the history nerd, the detective, right. the, you know, um, <laughs> whatever history fighter in me. I mean, I want, I, those stories are important and they're valuable and they're worth telling. Um, so it becomes kind of an exciting prospect for me to figure out how to do that when I don't have X document or Y artifact or something that's directly related to that person. How do we tell those stories? I think that's one of, you know, that's one of the great challenges that many historians and curators face today. Well, you know, gladly we find that the ground is continuing to give us clarity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always say, you know, time snitches on everyone. Uh, and it tells the stories sometimes that we don't want told. Uh, and sometimes it uncovers the stories that need to be told. We talk about being a detective um, of sorts, a, a, a sleuth, if you will. Um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is important for uh, people to understand, especially our young listeners, that this is the, the job of the historian, mm -hmm. is to uncover uh, the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how, and even more so the so what mm -hmm. and its significance. And so uh, the fact that we don't have the history of Angela and we don't have any complete set of documents or uh, any of her belongings her words or words, or, yeah. right, mm -hmm. but the fact that we can speak her name mm -hmm. and we can, uh, you know, speak her history into existence from what we already have mm -hmm. into the minds of future historians mm -hmm. who can go to discover and find. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in every area of history, I'm an ancient world historian, so you want to talk about <laughs> ancient Phoenician, Chinese <laughs> culture, you know, it, those kind of things. That's more so uh, my playground. But um, as we found even in that area of history, uh, the earth continues to give us more insight and more information year by year. There are constantly things being found, families that come forth with things that have sat in their attics and basements for hundreds of years. Um, the antique roadshow continues to roll. Yes. <laughs> and so I think that it's important that even when we don't have the full story, mm -hmm. that we at least speak the history we do have out mm -hmm. to make it real and actualized in the minds of those people mm -hmm. who had no knowledge of it before. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that this is um, a powerful exhibit that's about to take place. Um, we look forward to it. Mm -hmm. What's the time period again when we should start seeing this? Uh, it opens June 19th, okay. 2019. Um, and so look for announcements. We're going to have a big opening party for it. And it runs through March 1st, 2020. So it will be here eight months okay. um, and uh, give hopefully give people ample opportunities to come and see it um, multiple times. And uh, it runs during the fall semester. So for classes, um, teachers who want to bring their students, it's open during then. Um, open during the holidays. So if you have family visiting or if you're coming to Virginia for the holidays, you know, we hope to, um, we hope to maximize the outreach of this project by having it up for so long. 
And what is the uh, the information uh, online, the the web address, and all of that for the institution, so that people can take advantage of some of the information that you brought out during the interview? Um, our web address is virginiahistory.org, and in addition to learning about our exhibitions, there are links to our library and museum collection databases. There are all kinds of resources about Virginia history. You can learn about um, uh, the civil rights movement. You can learn about all uh, various other aspects of Virginia history. As a curator, I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, get in touch with us. Um, you know, we're in an institution that wants to preserve and to represent those kinds of stories. Um, so um, feel free to get in touch with us if you want to share your stories, if you want to um, bring artifacts that you have that are family treasures that relate to um, your own histories. We'd love to talk with you about that, maybe borrow them, maybe acquisition them into the collection so that we can preserve them for posterity so future generations can um, know more about your history. Well, we thank you so much for being with Leading by History today, and you've helped us to lead by history through this information that you've given to us. And from all of those at Leading by History, we say to you, peace. Well, peace right back at you, and thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Leading by History podcast, and we look forward to getting back together with you again on our next show. Until then... Peace.